All right. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of NYY Takes. I'm your host, Robert Coles, joined by Matthew Gerald uh, after a very strange week of Yankees baseball, to say the very least. The Yankees split since the last time we spoke, which was last Monday. The Yankees split a four-game series with the Toronto Blue Jays and then went on the road to Baltimore to drop two of three games to the team that seems to be the Yankees kryptonite over the past two years, the Orioles. So Matt, I'll kick it right to you. Your initial thoughts, we can scrap the Blue Jays series. That split was great, but we got to talk about Baltimore. Your initial gut reaction to what was a pretty terrible weekend for the New York Yankees. Simply an abysmal series. There's no two ways about it. And I know it's early and nothing that happens in April is necessarily indicative of, of anything, but we saw how tight the divisional race and the wild card race was last season and dropping an early season, uh, an early season series in Baltimore is not something we should take too lightly. These are crucial games that the Yankees need to win. And it doesn't matter what the calendar reads their games. The team needs to win. Uh, and right now the offense is just not getting it done. 18th in the American League, or I'm sorry, actually in Major League Baseball rather, in batting average at 229. Uh, 20th in Major League Baseball in slugging percentage at 366. And 16th in the Major Leagues in weighted runs created plus at 102, just above average in this small sample so far. They're just not getting it done. And I think it's particularly egregious when you're talking about a pitching staff like Baltimore's. I mean, getting shut out by that collection of pitchers on Sunday in a rubber game of a series is just never what you want to see. And I think everyone's frustrated. I think fans are frustrated, rightfully so. Um, you know, this isn't the way, this is not the, the, the start to the season that any of us had hoped for. Yeah, and it's uh, quite the opposite in terms of how to feel about it from the beginning of the season because you open the season winning, going 2-0 and with two pretty exciting wins. You obviously have the Donaldson walk-off and then game two, Rizzo homers again, Stanton homers again. You're kind of feeling pretty excited about this team. And then basically since then, even throughout the Toronto series, it kind of felt a little bit sluggish. And then obviously in the Baltimore series, we really just got thrown back to 2021 this past weekend in this past week. And so you brought up a lot of the poor offensive numbers. And I want to get an idea of what you think of this. So a lot of the things last year with the Yankees that I spoke about was that they were quote unquote, one of the most unlucky teams in all of baseball from a hitting perspective. And you mentioned they were, you know, in the bottom half of the league and most hitting categories but one category I want to look at, um, you know, one of my favorites actually, uh, is weighted on base average. So if you, if you look at their weighted on base average now, they're, you know, 16th. So just below the middle of the pack. But of course, you know, of course, if you look at their expected weighted on base average, which takes into account batted ball quality, um, it's basically a quality of contact stat. Their expected weighted on base average would be good for third in major league baseball at 357 their actual weighted on base average 
305. So that's the, that's the third highest difference. Actually, let me, let me filter that better. That is the sixth highest difference in ex-WOBA and WOBA that there is in, in MLB. I mean, the, by that metric, they've been unbelievably unlucky. I have some kind of thoughts on, on why that ex-WOBA number might be misleading for this team in particular, but what do you make of that? What do, you, what do you make of the possibility that the Yankees have just been downright pretty unlucky to start this season? I think they have been. I think that the quality of the contact that they're making suggests that their offensive uh, output is about to improve uh, drastically. Uh, But I also see a a few things, especially among some of the new contributors, that worry me a little bit. So to take an example, Josh Donaldson, uh, who was was my favorite of the pickups that they made this offseason. I think the the highest upside of any of those new uh, of any of the new pieces in the offense and Donaldson's quality of contact is, is very good. Um, he's got a very high average exit velocity for 90th percentile in the league. Um, he's making pretty consistent hard contact. His line drive rate is very good at the moment. Um, so we're not talking about a player who is failing to make good contact. What I see that worries me is that Donaldson is striking out a lot more than he ever has in his career. He's, he's whiffing a lot more and he's striking out a lot more. Um, so that worries me. And then the entire bottom part of the order also worries me. So, you know, Aaron Boone made the decision to trot out a bottom of the order on Sunday that was obviously far from the first team, you know, Tim Locastro in the lineup, along with Higashioka, Kiner Falefa, neither of whom have hit very well to start the year. And I think what we're seeing is that at least so far that bottom of the order, uh, even when, even when the lineup is at full strength is kind of shaping up to be a black hole of sorts. Uh, you know, you have Higashioka barely hitting at all. Jose Trevino had some, some nice outings during the last couple series. So we'll see if he's able to continue hitting, but in general, the bottom of the lineup, uh, is not something that's going to scare anyone. So, you know, Aaron judge Stanton, uh, even Aaron Hicks, who's started off relatively well this year. Those are guys who are, who are making good contact and who are going to start there. The numbers are going to start lining up with the quality of contact that they're making, but elsewhere in the lineup, you have some, some warning signs that I think are troublesome. So while I agree that I don't think things are going to stay quite this bad, uh, just because, as you mentioned, you know, the expected numbers say that the, the outcome should be better than they have been. I'm still not convinced that this is a good offense. I'm not convinced that it's a better offense than we saw last year. So I don't necessarily disagree. I think the real thing that we have, that we felt a lot last season and that we're feeling a lot this season is that to some degree, and I hate say, even like saying this, but to some degree, if the long ball's not working, the offense isn't working. And it has proven very difficult for this team to string together hits and we kind of saw it a little bit in that fourth game against Toronto. I think it was that fourth game against Toronto with uh, Connor Falefa and Jose Trevino, kind of what they were doing there. Um, Like Trevino drove in Connor Falefa twice um, after IKF had gotten on base with a couple knocks. Um, You know, that is not something that we're going to see a lot of with this team. Um, but I think that kind of just comes with the territory. And I think when you mix 
kind of this team that's either going to be, for the most part, elite offensively or, you know, completely inept. And you mix that with Yankees fans being, you know, myself included, uh, probably some of the most, impa- the most impatient fan base in baseball, you know, it makes for a discussion that we're having, which is, you know, we're 10 games into the season and we're indicting the offense on the charge of being incapable. So it, it's, it's tough for me to um, 10 games into the season be like, hey, this team, this offense sucks and I don't trust it. Um, especially when I see that expected weighted on base average number. And, you know, I see Joey Gallo, for instance, in that Sunday night game against the Red Sox, having two 110-mile-an-hour flyouts, and one was a 112-mile-an-hour lineout. Um, or when I see Josh Donaldson going oppo for a homer and looking, and looking good there while otherwise, you know, kind of looking lost at the plate. I'll always kind of assume that this lineup can pick it up and can click in that it is a little bit too early to panic right now um but we can talk about the bad hitting a little later let, let, let's talk about one thing from the the pitching staff that you saw over the past week or past three days who, who's who's one guy that um ha, has stood out to you over over the last seven days I think the obvious answer here, everyone's answer right now is Nestor Cortez, who at the moment is pitching like the ace of the staff and is putting up some numbers. Obviously, it's just two starts, so a tiny sample, take it with a grain of salt. But I think it's just worth talking about some of these numbers that Nestor Cortez is putting up because they're just cartoonishly good. And I don't even think anyone in their wildest dreams could have imagined that Nestor Cortez would be a pitcher that would be putting up numbers like this. Um, his strikeout percentage over his first two starts is 48.6%. I mean, that is just otherworldly. He is holding opposing hitters to a weighted on base average of 197. And the numbers suggest that he is perhaps even getting a tiny bit unlucky putting up that number. The expected number is five points lower at 192. 192 expected weighted, weighted on base average. Expected slugging of 235. And along with that 48.6 strikeout percentage, his walk rate is 2.9% right now. Um, Just staggering what he's been able to do. I think the difference in the Nestor of a couple years ago and the Nestor of last season and even more so this season, there are a couple. So first of all, as has been talked about, his velocity is up. So his four-seamer is averaging a higher velocity this year than ever before. He's managed to consistently get it up towards 90, 91, even 92 at times when in the past it was really topping out of the high eighties. That's the obvious one. The less obvious one is that he has built up the use of the cutter. Um, He started throwing it more last year, has really picked it up this year to the point where he's using it as much as his four seamer. And that is a wipeout pitch. I believe of his very impressive 12 strikeouts on Sunday, eight of them, were on the cutter. And I think most of those, if not all of them were swinging as well. It's a very impressive pitch. He had the Orioles off guard all afternoon with that pitch. And, you know, with doing all the Nestor things that we have come to know and love varying his uh, vertical release point, really mixing things up, changing speeds, quick pitching at times that combined with an uptick in the velocity on the fastball and the new cutter and how effective that is makes for a really dominant pitcher. Now, I don't think he's going to have a zero ERA and an expected ERA in the 95th percentile all season long, 
But I do think that the, the changes that he's made point to a pitcher who has figured it out and is going to consistently be good. So Nestor Cortez, number three starter, is not something I think that I would have predicted of this year, but it's something I think is a very real possibility. Yeah, are we at the point now where we just have to accept that Nestor Cortez is good? I think, I, we, I think are. we are. I think we are. After, yeah. after the second half of last year and the first couple starts this year in his profile, I think we're at that point now. And he's one of these pitchers where it's like you see him, you see what he did last year, and you just you just assume it, you, it's a fluke. It's kind of like what Gio Urshela was doing in um, in twenty nineteen. It's like you you just kind of assume it's all a fluke, um, and then you kind of realize he's really good because he does the same exact thing the next season. But yeah, I mean, I love that he's a guy that like you don't need to come into this league. And I, okay, so anecdotally, I was listening to the K Rod broadcast last night for the Braves Padres game. And one thing that A-Rod loves to bring up all the time, and I love A-Rod to death, but one thing he loves to bring up all the time is how teams are forcing it down these kids' throats that they have to throw hard, that you need to go all out on velocity and need to you know, throw 99 to 100. And we see that with a lot of the younger guys. You know, Hunter Green is a good example. Grayson Rodriguez, another one. They each like sit at 100 pretty much. But that is clearly not you know, the only way to be successful in this league. I mean, deception goes a long way, and Nestor is really, really good at that. Um, Another guy I can think of is Eric Lauer, who sits a little faster than Nestor, but is the same type of slow lefty, will kind of switch up his location and just sort of like lull you to sleep at times and then speed you up. There's more of an art to pitching to, you know, what we see out of Nestor Cortez. And I think at this point, it's, it's not a fluke anymore. Nestor Cortez is a big-time part of this rotation. So I want to go back to kind of what I just asked you, which was give me one player. So I want to go back to an old thing that we used to do on this podcast called three up, three down. And I wanted to take away Nestor because Nestor was the obvious choice. So I wanted to make it a little bit more challenging for both of us. Um, we can amend this because I, I actually think it'll be hard to find like six ups between the two of us. Um, but we can just make it a couple up, a couple down. So I'll go first and I'll start with a pitcher. Um, and I will start with Michael King. So my, Michael King is someone that I've been like singing the praises of for such a long time now. Um, last season, he was in the starting rotation a bit. I remember I went to a Yankees-Red Sox game sometime in the middle of the season. Devers hit like a new comb run off him to right field. There was a Bogarts teed him off. He ended up getting hurt. And then when he came back, I remember it was in a game, I think, against the Toronto Blue Jays at the Rogers Center. And he, and he just started throwing that, that like 90-mile-an-hour changeup two seam looking thing and also whipped out like a really crazy slider. And you're like, Oh my God, like Michael King might have something now. Um, And in the past week, I think we've kind of been shown Michael King for all he's worth. I personally thought it would take a lot longer than this for everyone to kind of realize just how freaking good Michael King is. But I mean, the numbers speak for themselves. I mean, 11.1 11.1 K per nine, a 1.590 RA with a 1.188 xFIP. Um, but the but the best stat that I love and and one that we remember from 
that that last game against Toronto is his 87 and a half percent left on base percentage. This guy is coming into games in high leverage situations and just calmly rolling through people. And we, and we saw that in the Toronto game comes in with the bases loaded and gets Bo Bichette to flare out into a double play. But then on the flip side, he comes in during the Baltimore series and throws you 45 pitches. So you literally have like this, this Swiss army knife of a pitcher out of the bullpen that can come get you the last three outs of the ninth inning or can eat innings for you in the, in the fourth, fifth, sixth, um, and, and do it, you know, in a really quality way of just like not allowing runs. So Michael King was someone I was really high on to begin the season. I, I did, I did think it would take a lot longer for, for us to kind of remember his name, but it has taken all of pretty much a week for people to feel confident in Michael King. And I think the fact that we can add another name that we're confident in to the Yankees bullpen might just be like the only good thing the Yankees have going for them is that we can just keep tacking on names to that Yankees bullpen and at least know that if the, you know, by the off chance, the Yankees are winning after the sixth inning, then they have a good chance of winning the game. Um, but as we know, it comes down to offense there. So who is your one up for your first of two? I'll, I'll take another one of these, uh, of the multi-headed Hydra that is the bullpen right now. And I'm going to go with Lucas Ligge who is someone I talked about briefly on our last episode. Um, I cited an, uh, an appearance that he had against Rafael Devers in the Red Sox series. Lucas Lickie is a lot of fun. He's 35 years old now. Again, last year was his first major league experience since 2013. And he's come back this year and he looks even better now, which is pretty crazy given how huge a part of the team he was for large portions of last year. Uh, but he's, he's put, he's again, he's just putting up phenomenal numbers, expected batting average of 150 against him. K percentage of 44.4 really relying primarily on the cutter and the slider. Now he's, he's phased out the use of the curveball, which was classified as a separate pitch last year. I think now he's, he's just, he's throwing one breaking ball that's sort of slurvy in its motion. Um, and then he's pairing that with a cutter and it's really effective. And he's a guy that I feel confident in pretty much regardless of the situation. And I think it's well known at this point that I'm not a fan of Aroldis Chapman. I mean, I never have been, but I think particularly nowadays, uh, he, he's more trouble than he's worth in terms of just the, the stress and the, and the blood pressure that seeing him come to the game um, makes me feel. And there are other lefties in the bullpen that I think are more reliable and Licky is one of them. So between, you know, it's just, it's amazing. You know, the Yankees can bring anybody out of that pen pretty much. And you can rely on them having a solid inning. I know that Loisaga had a misstep on Sunday, uh, but the bullpen is, is just, it's, it's incredible. It's an incredible luxury to have that, uh, to have that kind of weapon available to you. Uh, regardless of how many innings you need them to go, matchups that they need to deal with, it's just incredible. So Licky's my Licky's my number one. It's so funny. Like, there's a part of me that would trust Lucas Licky to get a save more than Aroldis Chapman at this point. Like, and it's not even that uh, I necessarily trust him more. It's that like, no, regardless of the situation, Aroldis Chapman comes into the game. I am nervous. It could be a four nothing game. Five nothing game doesn't matter. I am worried that he's going to lose the zone like he did against Toronto and just implode. 
And we saw it happen last year multiple times where he comes into a game, he can't find his own, and has to get taken out. And it happened again this year. And it's just the Yankees' bullpen is so good. And there are so many arms in there that I trust to close out a game in a high leverage spot more than I do a Raldis Chapman. And the Yankees started doing it last year where they said, hey, you know what, Araldis, you are stinking it up right now. We don't have a role for you anymore. You're just going to like come in when we tell you to, and that's going to be that. That change going into this year, they were like, okay, Araldis, you know, you get a chance to be the closer now. And he blew it within the first week. So when you literally just look at the line, like Clay Holmes, Loaziga, Chad Green, Lucas Lecky, Michael King, it – the list does not end. Like, even Wandy. Like, the list literally does not end with names in that Yankees bullpen that I would trust over Chapman. Lucas Lecky is one of them. I could not agree more. So, another guy I want to give props to, and I can't believe I'm doing this, um, but it's Aaron Hicks. And it has a lot to do with the fact that I was, like, sitting on my couch watching the game Friday night, um, and I saw a tweet that Aaron Hicks was slashing 333, 438, 444. And I assumed it was like a troll tweet. I assumed it was fake. Lo and behold, I pulled up his fan graphs and that is basically exactly what he was slashing. He's currently slashing 333, 438, 444 with a 4, 392 Woba, a 324X Woba. So maybe he's getting a little lucky. But besides the fact, and a 163 WRC plus. So, like, props to Hicks. Results-wise, been great. But I just want to talk about him because I almost, like, feel sorry for him. Because if there's been one person, and the Pinstripe prospect staff is guilty of this, Twitter is guilty of this, there's been one person that has, for some reason, been the butt of all of the Yankees' jokes and insults over the past week, it's been Aaron Hicks. But Aaron Hicks is kind of been the least of the Yankees' problems. It's just that he gets these loud outs. He had that double play on Friday night. He had those pop-ups with runner. He had that pop-up with the runner scoring position in that last game against Boston. That's kind of the nature of baseball. It's like you watch the games and you remember the big moments. And poor Aaron Hicks, who had a nightmare of a season last year, missed most of the year, and works his ass off to get into shape going into spring training this season. He's in the opening day lineup. He's trying to play every day. He's raking. But all Yankees fans do is just rain on his parade. And it's all because baseball is a sick game where people just kind of remember the big moments. And fortunately for Aaron Hicks, he hasn't really come through in those big moments. So that's, that's kind of – it's less like uh, good for you, Hicks. It's almost like uh, Aaron, I kind of feel bad for you, and I think you deserve some, some much-needed kudos. Yeah, I, I like that you brought up Hicks here. I think so, so something that a that, uh, number of, of Yankees and baseball writers talk about sometimes is the idea of prospect fatigue. So we see a, you know, a hotshot prospect get drafted, rise up through the lower minors really quickly, and then perhaps stall out at you know, double A AA or triple A for a few years. And before you know it, you blink. And the guy has been at AAA for, for three seasons, has been injured a bunch. And we're all saying, wow, like, we're not that excited about this prospect anymore, even if he's only 23, 24 years old. I think the primary example right now that people point to in the Yankee system is Esteban Florial, 
who's a guy that was consistently ranked in the, you know, single digits in the system, top prospect all the way through. And he has kind of stalled out. His development has stalled out a little bit the last few years. And now we're all talking about how we're kind of tired of, of Florial and, and nobody really knows whether he's actually going to make an impact to the major league level. I feel like a similar phenomenon is at play with Aaron Hicks in light of how we think about those Yankee teams of 2017 and 2018. And now what we see happening with the team this year and, and last year to an extent as well. Aaron Hicks was such a key component of those teams four to five years ago. You know, there was a time when I made the argument that he was the second best center fielder in the American league behind Mike Trout and like kind of tied with George Springer uh, for that, for that title in terms of both his offense, which was great at the time, his ability to get on base and also his defense, which has, you know, it does trail off with age and it has trailed off with age, but, but he was really, he was a cornerstone of the team and he earned a contract based on that, that I think, was in line with his worth at that point in time. And then since then, it's been a combination of injuries, ineffectiveness, uh, and I think just a general idea that like the, the guys that really formed the, the core of those teams have, have regressed. And so with, you know, it started with, of course, Gary Sanchez, who was a cornerstone of the team in 2017. Um, you know, even Miguel and Duhar and Gleyber Torres, who in 2018 and 2019 or 20, 2018 and 2019 respectively were key components of the team. We're just tired now because the team has seemingly regressed in terms of its achievements um, since that time. And now we're all sitting here and saying the team has stalled out. And, and I think the guys that were big players on those teams that, that went further um, are seen as the primary culprits in the, in the whole team stalling out. So I think that's at play with Aaron Hicks, even though, as you mentioned, this year, his result, the results have been there. He's had a good offensive year. He's had some loud outs, some, some, some disappointments in key situations, but he's getting on base. He's doing the Aaron Hicks thing. So I just wonder if, if, you know, we all just need to take a step back and I mean, you know, just chill out in general, because it's only been whatever many game, 10 games, but just think about, I think a little more critically about where the struggles are coming from and, and who actually needs to play better for things to improve. Cause Aaron Hicks is just not one of the, one of the chief issues. Yeah. I also, before you get into your next, your next, uh, your next guy up, I, I also do think there's a lot of like Yankee fans love to blame Cashman for all the problems. And I think a lot of Yankee fans attach Aaron Hicks to Brian Cashman. Cashman was the one that wanted the, that gave him that seven years, $70 million contract. So I think because people want to have Cashman's head rolling down Broadway, they'll take every chance they get to berate Aaron Hicks, even if he's batting 330. So that's where I stand there. But I agree. Just kind of overall fatigue and, and people expecting a lot from, from past performances, which, you know, that's kind of what fans do. But who's your next guy up before we get into our uh, our guys down? Yeah, I think my second one is a bit of a hot take. I think um, one other player besides Aaron Hicks that a lot of people are directing ire towards right now is Glaber Torres. Uh, he's hitting 161. It hasn't always been pretty to watch. Um, but his quality of contact actually indicates that there's some positive regression on the horizon for, for Glaber. Um, so you look at his 
all of his expected statistics, they're all above the 50th percentile. And I actually, I think, you know, since he's shifted back to second base, he has looked a lot more comfortable in the field and he's made a couple of, I would say borderline highlight real plays at second base in the early going here. Um, just showing that that's really where he belongs on the field, not at short. We've seen enough of the shortstop experiment to know that it, it, it's not, it's not the way of the future, but you know, Torres was, was, he was never a, a gold glover at second, but he was always a guy that was capable of making the plays and at times making some, some spectacular plays as well. So I think keeping him at, at, at second, um, you know, having him play as little shortstop as possible and then having his results fall more in line with the quality of contact he's making. I don't know if we're going to see 2019 Glaber again. I don't think he's ever going to necessarily hit 38 home runs again. But if he is, if he can return to being the guy that the Yankees thought he was going to be when he first came up, a guy that makes contact, consistent contact, gets on base, kind of what we all hope that Kiner Falefa could be at his best. You know, not, not, a, not a huge big-time power threat, but just a guy who's going to get on base for you who's going to make good contact and who's not going to strike out a ton. That's a useful player. And I'm, I'm confident that Glaber can become a useful player again. Yeah. I, I think, I think the juice balls broke Glaber. I, part of me believes that. I mean, because he in that season um, really tried to like buy into the whole power thing. He, he, he began to view himself as a home run hitter. I mean, I, I literally cannot believe I'm looking at his numbers right now. I cannot believe he had 38 home runs in 2019. Is that real? Is that like an actual stat? It, it, doesn't, it doesn't make any sense to me. So I think he's almost still like suffering from residu- some residual from that because you know, obviously 2020, he only hits three homers. 2021 only hits nine. And I think he's finally in a place where he can find some consistency because when you come off being this young phenom guy that everyone is talking about as the next Yankees superstar shortstop and you hit 24 home runs in your rookie season in 123 games and in 144 games the next year you hit 38 dingers and then you lose your power show completely and then you go from that to 2021 and then having to be the everyday shortstop when you're not very good at the position while also continuing to lose your power and there's a whole lot of uncertainty and everyone's booing you and you used to be like this baby face guy that everyone loved and now you're kind of growing into an adult and like it's not so cute anymore i think this season is a good opportunity for him and and you kind of mentioned it for for him to really settle down get comfortable at second base which is a position that he has shown to be pretty solid at so far and a position that he showed to be pretty good at last season as well and kind of say hey no put the pass behind us there I'm never going to be a 40 home run guy again but I'm also probably not going to be just a nine home run guy again and I'm not going to be a shitty defensive player again so this is an opportunity for him he has for whatever reason though completely dodged and you mentioned Glaber was like a hot take, dodged like any criticism throughout this past two weeks. But I love that because you, you obviously mentioned his, his quality of contact. Um, and his weighted on base average right now is 247. His expected is 359. I love that. Just another example of another Yankees player getting unlucky to start this season. I will say just one note on what concerns me with him is that his chase rate is really high this year. 
Um, he's typically not someone that chases a lot. So 2020, his chase rate was in the 85th percentile. 2021, kind of the same. This year, it's in the 8th percentile. That's slightly concerning from an approach perspective. But I agree with you. Quality of contact is up. And I think it's more likely that he re- returns to his non-chasing tendencies rather than becomes a guy that's swinging at everything. Um, so, yeah, I like that. I like that Glaber pick. He, he's kind of like – you could almost like – I almost like forgot he was on the Yankees. Like I feel like I didn't watch a single Glaber at bat all weekend. Um, he just sort of like blended in and, and didn't really do much. But I do think greener pastures are well – ahead very one last glaber stat that i'll mention uh is that his expected slugging percentage this year as you mentioned it's it's, it's vastly outpacing his his actual mark expected slugging percentage is, is 493 that is wow. uh nearly identical to his season-long expected slugging in 2019 when he hit 38 homers it was 492 that year it's 493 now Oh, classic. I mean, look, the last year I was like one of the only people that was like screaming from the rooftops that the Yankees team wasn't so bad. And all I would do is talk about ex-woba and ex-slug and ex-this. And you know, at the end of the day, no one cares. They only care. They only, they, everyone, I mean, as you should, everyone just cares about the actual results. But I'm going to be watching Glaber with a very close eye because I do think he can have a big year. I think he's a lot more comfortable. Um We'll just see if it actually turns into anything. So let's get a little negative, shall we? Um, honestly, there's kind of like a lot to take away from here in terms of uh, two down. Um, but my, my first down has to be, obviously, my boy Joey Gallo. Um, we're kind of entering like the world where like Joey Gallo is like the Yankees' worst hitter. Um, over the past week, he is batting 158 with a 273 OBP and a 158 slug. Um, I mean, he's literally not doing anything. He looks lost. He looks like he's pressing, um, striking out 32% of the time. I mean, he has been the worst hitter on this team outside of Kyle Higashioka since the last time we spoke. And I was a huge proponent of the Gallo trade when it happened last season. I was super pumped up. I thought it was one of those moves that really can change the makeup of a team. I thought it was going to come in and be much more like the guy that he was in Texas in the months preceding the trade. But we have only gotten the bad Joey Gallo. And you can go back to last year. You can talk about this year. It has been nothing but crap for him. Anytime he's up against a righty, I feel somewhat confident that he can just like randomly put one out, but forget that. Anytime he's up against a lefty, I I just assume it's an out right now. I mean, he looks so, so lost and I worry with him that he is seriously pressing. Um, And and I was hoping that was something that was going to kind of alleviate itself this season because uh, he was definitely pressing in the last two months of uh, of last season, came to the Yankees, a lot of pressure on him, you know, the whole Italian thing with him and Rizzo, a lot of profession, a lot of pressure for him to perform, and he didn't. So I was I was hopeful that wouldn't be the case this year, but it seems to still be the case. I mean, he 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 plays like someone that puts a lot of pressure on himself, and this is not the best place to do it. I mean, a 39 WRC plus over the past week against the Baltimore Orioles. I mean. You couldn't name three pitchers on that team. Um, 
so yeah, I mean, it, it's been really disappointing for Gallo. I, 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 trying to find a silver lining is really difficult with him. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I, I'm like almost at a loss for words with how bad he's been to the point where it's like I'm concerned. He's just like he might not even be there's a there's a chance he's like not even on this team soon if he keeps playing like this so what are you i mean what what do you think of gallo because i i've got nothing more to say about the man yeah it's i similarly i'm having trouble finding a silver lining i'll just mention one um one issue that i see this year particularly versus last year even as the results have been similarly bad and it's kind of the same thing as the one that you mentioned with with glaber so one thing that you could rely on with Gallo last year was even though he would swing through center cut fastballs, he wasn't a big chaser. He wasn't going to chase many pitches out of the zone. And this year he's doing that a lot more. So he was 95th percentile in chase rate last year. This year it's all the way down to the 40th. So that's a sign that potentially the issues that afflicted him last year are becoming even worse or more magnified in their, um, in their, in their volume. But he's also whiffing a little bit less. So he's not missing as, as many of those center cut fastballs. Um, so that, that rate has ticked down just a little bit. So again, I am definitely grasping at straws a little bit here, but it's good to see that that number is potentially on the track that you'd want to see it on. And then, of course, the other thing that we always see with Gallo is that when he does hit the ball, he is going to put the wood on it. Um, and he's doing that this year. So we've, we've seen him, you mentioned the, a couple of really, really hard flyouts in the, in the Boston series. Anytime he makes contact, he's making good contact. He's hitting it where fielders happen to be, which is something that, you know, we hope will get straightened out with time and usually does get straightened out with time. Yeah. So my problem with Gallo, just to quickly finish ooh, up the thought okay. here is that the problem. Yeah. He, he, is always going to be a rally killer in the heart of that order because he's never not going to strike out. We know that. Like even if he even if he ends up really straightening it out this year and becomes the Joey Gallo that we want him to be, which is a guy who hits 210 and hits 40 homers, he's still going to be coming up in key situations and striking out. That's just going to happen. So, I think the the offensive profile is just one that I kind of have a problem with in general because it's it's just that all or nothing profile that, that, you know, every rank and file Yankee fan on every corner of the internet complains about all the time. Yeah. I mean, I don't doubt that he's going to probably have like a two week stretch where he's going to rake. Um, like I, like I still think that's like a distinct possibility that, you know, we're on here next week talking about how Joey Gallo's red hot and he hit four homers this week and all of that, but time is running out for him. You can hit the, you can hit the ball as hard as you want. You can, you can barrel the ball as much as you want. At some point, you got to have results. And I know results are misleading in baseball and all of that, but he just hasn't gotten them. Also, he's been pretty bad in the field this year. So time's running out and give Joey Gallo. What do you got? Who are you mad at this week? Who's your, who's your first guy down? So I mentioned Donaldson already, and I'll just return to, to that point real quick here. Because, you know, the, the issues with Donaldson are not – issues that we've seen before and to me the the you know Donaldson swinging through pitches like he's Joey Gallo from the right side of the plate is not something that I anticipated seeing and it's sort of similar to Gallo as well as when you know when he does barrel up the ball he's getting he's getting good contact and we saw that in the homer he hit in the Baltimore series went the other way clearly still has a lot of power can drive the ball 
but the whiffs and the strikeouts are not something that I thought was going to be the case. And, and he's doing that way more than he ever has, has in his career. So is that a sign that he's lost a step? I certainly hope not because the Yankees really need him to be a force in the order for them to have any chance whatsoever this year. Uh, but, but I just, that those, those trends really do concern me quite a bit with, with Donaldson. Yeah. His bat flip on the Homer was pretty cool. I really enjoyed that. Um, I think Donaldson has been hitting the ball on the ground a little too much. I think he needs to start elevating the ball. He was doing that in spring. I mean, there's been so many guys who were hitting while in spring and then April started and they forgot how to hit. Hickey looking at you. Um, I think he'll be okay. I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt that it is 10 games with a new team, big pressure situation. He's kind of got to like figure it out and figure out, you know, um, where he really fits kind of uh, from a personality standpoint, from a skill set standpoint, you know, he's been in the leadoff spot, which is like kind of weird for him. So just some like working out the kinks I think is going on with him. So I'm not overly worried. And I mean, he does make really good contact with the ball, but I think once he starts elevating more, and kind of playing the game that we're used to seeing him play. I do think Donaldson will be okay. My next guy down and kind of analogous to Josh Donaldson. Um, And I don't mean this seriously, but I do kind of mean it. Uh, It's Garrett Cole. And it's not because he's been like horrendous or anything. I get it. Vladimir Guerrero Jr. is really good. The Blue Jays lineup is really good. And you got clipped. Fine. But – I don't want to see Nestor. I, I like. I don't want to feel more confident in Nestor Cortez than I do Garrett Cole. That that is not something that should be happening at any point in time this season. And I mean that jokingly, of course. But I, there's part of me that's serious, where it's like, it feels like every time Garrett goes out there, he's going to give up two home runs to someone. Doesn't matter who it is. That's kind of just like what Garrett does now. And then I'm sitting there this weekend, and Justin Verlander, who hasn't pitched in 18 months comes out and throws eight shutout innings against the Seattle Mariners. He dominated the Seattle Mariners, like owned them. Outside of that Houston game last season for Garrett Cole, I can't remember the last time post, you know, sticky substance crackdown where I was like, oh, Garrett is mowing these guys down. Owns them, owning them. They have no answer. I haven't seen it. And his first two starts have been bad. I mean, he's giving up. He's, they haven't been bad, but they've been bad for in the sense that, like, they're not inspiring much confidence in me that he can really be, like, the ace that he's being paid to be. Um, all of his peripheral stuff is, like, fine. His slider looks good. His fastball's fine. He's just getting clipped more. And that concerns me and, and and I want this man to be that Justin Verlander type where it's like he goes on the mound you know you're winning that night you don't need to worry I shouldn't have to be concerned about Cole's performance but here I am worried about Garrett Cole not even worried annoyed by Garrett Cole because I just want him I want to feel like every time he pitches we're going to win the game the Yankees are going to win the game and it doesn't feel that way and it actually feels that way more so with Nestor Cortez on the mound or Luis Severino who we forgot to mention I feel like I'm the same way about Garrett Cole as a lot of Yankee fans are with Aaron Hicks or like, regardless of his actual results, I'm just perpetually going to be pissed at him because he's not doing what I want him to do. So I'm with you there. Garrett Cole was, was actually, he, he wasn't my choice for my second down, but I'm, I think 
he's probably a better choice than the one that I have. The one that I have is Jameson Tyone. Um, I think Tyone's looked pretty poor his first two starts and his numbers reflect um, a pitcher that's not really getting it done. And I think it's just funny you mentioned, you know, obviously Nestor, who we've talked about, and Luis Severino. I kind of, in a very twisted way, love the idea of this Yankees team having Severino as its ace and Cortez as its number two. That's just kind of fun. I like yes. that a lot because those are two guys who I love for very different reasons, but just two of my favorite guys on the team. Um, now, I, I, I think that Cole is going to end up pitching like an ace, and I think he's going to – because he is – you know, for all the things I dislike about him and for all the things that we've kind of trashed him for the last couple of episodes, he is a real cerebral guy. He knows how to pitch. He knows about the art and the science of pitching. He will figure it out to the point where he will be the team's ace. And I think over the long run, he'll prove to be the team's ace. I just worry about a guy of that kind of personality profile being the ace of the Yankees. Because it's just, you know, my, my, my rage against him is, is a perfect encapsulation of the fact that you, you, you shouldn't give people material to rag on you with. And it's like, you know, if you're not performing, that's one thing. Everybody goes through down stretches, regardless of how good you are. But you can't supply extra ammunition by behaving in a way that, in the way that Cole has behaved at his worst over the last two years. Cause that's like, people are going to talk about that and people are going to use that as evidence that like, you're not worth, you know, this tremendously huge contract that he is commanding right now. And that's just the way it's going to be with the Yankee fans. So yeah, Cole has not, he's not lived up to it's, it's crazy that it feels crazy to say it because he did finish second in the Cy Young last year. They don't have a chance of winning 2020 ALDS game five without him, but he hasn't lived up to the hype. That's just what it feels like. like psychologically, yeah. that's what it feels like. I, like maybe we're just completely jaded and like have no idea what we're talking about. It's completely possible, but it, it has not felt. And it, and it really felt that way that when it's like when I'm watching Justin Verlander do his thing, it's like, I don't think I have felt this way about Garrett Cole in the last year. I just don't think I have. And Garrett Cole since, since the, the sticky stuff cracked down. I mean, I, I haven't. I haven't. There has not been a moment where Garrett Cole has like gone out there and I've been like, Yankees are winning today. I mean, it's sad, but it's kind of the truth. And I mean, how much do you really, just quickly, like how much do you actually make of the sticky stuff for him? I never really know how to approach that topic. Um, I don't think it's a huge deal, um, personally. I, I know there are differences before and after, but if anything, I think the change is minimal and, and kind of the timing of all this is more the coincidence, but what are you, what are your, what are your thoughts on the sticky stuff? Cause I feel like I haven't heard it before. Yeah. I always, I always have trouble talking about it too, because I, I feel like I'm not having never been a pitcher. I feel like perhaps there's a dimension of this that like I wouldn't fully understand unless I was actually a major league caliber pitcher um, or even a pitcher at all. But I do think the area where it does seem to be affecting things is with his fastball. I mean, we saw that we saw the decline in the spin rate and guys have just been squaring that pitch up more ever since the crackdown. And, and, and it's a big deal because that's, that's the pitch, you know, he, 
went from being a very good pitcher, a good to very good pitcher with Pittsburgh and the best pitcher at the league, one of the best pitchers in the game with Houston because of that four-seamer. Like he went from being a, you know, a kind of a sinker, um, a sinker pitcher to a power four-seam up in the zone, you know, spin rate pitcher. That was, that, he was like the emblematic case of that, of what Houston was able to do with their pitchers um, when, when that was all the rage, you know, four, three to four years ago. And now you see that pitch being a lot less effective. You see hitters squaring it up, uh, not swinging through it as much as they used to. So that, that to me is where the, the, the substances might play a role. And I think that kind of affects everything else. You know, we've seen, we've seen Cole snap off some like vintage sliders in his first couple starts this year. We've seen him throw some good changeups. It's not like the stuff is gone. It's just that without the ability to blow a hitter away with that fastball, everything else becomes just that much less effective. So that's the role I see it playing. But as far as like whether that's the primary culprit for Garrett Cole going from elite, you know, get, get everybody out Garrett Cole of the Houston days to what we see now, I don't know. I mean, you know, people talked about the hamstring issue last year as being a problem. Um, I, I, would, I would guess that that's fully healed now, so I don't really know what else there is, what other factors there are. That, that's making things the way they are right now. But again, you know, I do think that all of my personal bias aside, he's going to figure it out. Uh, will he, will he return to 2019 Garrett Cole? Maybe not. Like that was probably his best season. Uh, but as long as he's able to make adjustments, change his approach so that he is that guy who we can rely on and trust every five days and we'll be in good shape. Yeah, I mean, we're talking about this now, and what's probably going to happen is he's going to throw like seven innings of shutout ball against the Tigers tomorrow, um, just to just to do the Garrett Cole thing. So I'll end with a proposition for you, or, or uh, kind of a kind of a prediction we can make. So, assuming we speak next Monday again, the Yankees have three games against the Tigers at Detroit, and then three games back at home against the Cleveland Guardians. Give me the record that you think the Yankees will have over the course of those six games. and Give me one player that you think we'll be talking about, positively or negatively, come next podcast. I love this. So can I I'll, – I'll, I'll answer the first question with kind of a two-parter. So I think the record that they're going to finish with is – they're going to they're going to finish um, three and three in these games. I think they should finish four and two for us to feel good about them coming out of these two series. These are two I think underrated teams, um, neither of which are going to be major contenders in the American League, but both of which are solid ball clubs that are on the upswing. So I think we're I think we're back here a week from now and we're still talking about like missed chances, missed opportunities, and the fact that the Yankees should be winning more than they're winning. So I don't think they're going to snap out of this in a week. As far as one player that I think we're going to be talking about at this time next week, I think that we're going to be talking about Aaron judge because I see, I see judge as he's going to go, he's going to go into a stretch soon where he's going to put the team on his back. Like we saw him do last year so much and I think he's going to win them a couple games this week 
he's, he's due. He, he's only hit one home run, but he's making as good contact as he ever has in his career. Um, and I think he's, he's going to save their asses a couple times this week. So that's probably a low hanging fruit pick, but I think that they're going to have another underwhelming couple series. And I think Aaron judge is going to be a big component of any wins that they do get. So I agree with the judge thing. That was actually going to be what I was going to say, but um, where I disagree is on the kind of uh, assessment of where the Yankees will be um, come next week, because uh, the Yankees have uh, today, the first off day that they have had since the season started, Um, they've played 10 straight games in 10 days. Uh, It was a grind. It's a lot of baseball to open up a season after shortened spring training with a lot of pressure to come out and perform. Day off today, you go to Detroit. Then you come home Friday with no day off. So you play in Detroit Thursday, fly home Thursday night. You have the Guardians at home for the weekend, and then you have another day off next Monday. So it's Monday day off, Monday day off. I think the Yankees are circling this and saying, we have, we have to get right here because if – Answer. I think the Yankees will go four and two over these next six games. And I think it's a spot on the schedule for them. That's so important because after this weekend, you then have home three against the Orioles, or you have to think they're going to be very motivated to, <laughs> to kind of flex their muscle a little bit at home and take three games from them in the fashion that they sort of need to after the disappointing weekend this weekend. And then they go to Kansas city and then it's back to Toronto. So, th- so I think the Yankees are, hopefully looking at today as a much needed rest day, uh, recover from, you know, going, you know, five and five, not the end of the world and saying, okay, look, we've got the jitters out early seasons behind us. We have our first off day. We can get into the flow of things and get moving forward here. So as far as who I think we're going to be talking about next week, the Yankees are going to go four and two, and we're going to be talking a lot about Isaiah Kiner-Falefa. And the reason I say that is because we started to see Falefa's um, potential shine through in the past week. So in the past week, IKF batted 294 with a 333 OBP, 353 slug, and a 105 WRC+. That's all he needs to do. That is literally all Isaiah Kiner-Falefa needs to do this season. Be a 105 WRC plus hitter and do what you're doing in the infield. And I think this is a really good opportunity for him, especially at a ballpark like Detroit that has that big outfield. He can get a lot of base hits, get on base, and, you know, make things happen that way. I think by Monday of next week, we're going to be saying Connor Falefa had himself a week, and Connor Falefa is now batting, you know, 290 over the past two weeks. And while it's going to be quiet, you're going to kind of feel it in the sense that kind of the same way you felt it in that Toronto win in the last game of the series where he scored two runs. He's just going to get on base, somehow end up at second, and they're going to look up and he's going to be running home to score a run. And I think that's why the Yankees got Connor Falefa. He can kind of just like fill in the gap silently that this team lacked last season. And I think we're going to get a good dose of that because he has this off day to kind of reset. We know that he's had the high nerves. He's been pretty nervous to start out with this team. So deep breath, reset, six games coming up for IKF, and then an off day. I think we'll be talking about him next week. What do you think of that? I, I, I love that. I love that prediction. I, I'm hoping that we have an IKF breakout this week. That'd be wonderful. Um, and yeah, you know, Detroit is a good place for hitters like IKF to get going. A lot of space in that outfield for sure. Yeah. Uh, 
as much as I want to say is it's a breakout, it might just be more of the same as he's batting 295 the last week. So my man IKF doing everything he can to get those early season jitters out. But that's all for us. It's been a very disappointing week of Yankees baseball. But I'm pretty hopeful of what's to come. Matthew, not so much. But um, please rate, subscribe to the podcast. Listen, You can listen to us wherever we have podcasts, wherever you get podcasts. You can follow Pinstripe Perspective on Twitter at Pinstripe Purse. That's at Pinstripe, P-R-S. Um, you can follow myself on Twitter at rcoles0206. That's at R-C-O-L-E-S-0206. Matt, where can the people find you? Find me on Twitter as well at mcjarrell14, M-C-J-A-R-R-E-L-L-1-4. All right. Well, that will do it for this week's edition of NYY Takes. We hope you enjoyed, and hopefully we come back Monday. And the more positive prediction is the right one, but we'll see. But without further ado, go Yanks.